You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Listen, <laughs> put it in your ear holes, shove it in oh. there, stab it down there with a Q-tip. You know, I've never been entirely okay with ear holes. It just sounds no? a little vulgar. It, it is a little <laughs> vulgar. It's true. Uh, you know, not as vulgar as asshat, which is still, I think, the greatest insult of all time. I prefer asshat. Yeah. I'm far more okay with asshat. Because you can't even picture that one. You're just well, like, it's just so absurd. You're like, what would that be exactly? I don't know. I think Rick and Morty, you just, you just cut off the butt cheeks and, and like, put them on top. As a hat. Yeah, see, but that's hard to actually. Yeah, it's like, hard to oh, do. Yeah, so, so, so I'm an, a cut off ass that someone wears as a hat. And, and admittedly, this may mean that I'm a sociopath. That is entirely possible. That could happen. It could happen. <laughs> it seems unlikely, but it could happen. What is likely is that Aaron and I welcome Aaron. Is uh, nice to be here. The new digital noiser is going to are we're going to be reviewing some of the new blu-rays and dvds that have been coming out over the last month we have a, a nice little stack here it's not huge but it's reasonable and there's a good mix of different types of titles here yeah there was uh, so when i told my family i was doing this because i visited them over the weekend I, I let them know like hey i'm gonna have to watch a bunch of movies while i'm visiting you guys and there were some that i was like yes we can watch this together yeah and there were some that no, I'm going to wait till nighttime to watch this. You don't need to see it. Yeah. And I think we're going to start off with one of the ones that you could, in fact, watch together. But before I say get into that, let me just tell you guys, we survive at oneofus.net and Digital Noise specifically by your help. And one of the ways you can do that is if you go to the actual oneofus.net page for this show or any Digital Noise show, you'll see a bunch of images of the covers of all the movies that we're talking about that particular week and if you click on one of those it'll bring you to an amazon.com page where you can buy that title and if you do that we get a nice little kickback but let's say you get on it thinking about it go i don't know if i want to buy that title and then you start surfing around on amazon you're like maybe i'll check out my wish list and buy something from my wish list you know as long as you started you got to amazon.com through one of our links we get a kickback no matter what you buy it's true. I actually bought a little playset for my son, which might as well have been a new car for how expensive it was. <laughs> and thought of that as I was doing it. And awesome. I was like, no, no, I need to go click on one of their links. Yeah, I actually <laughs> replaced my own Amazon.com bookmark link with one that is a bookmark to, that starts with a one of us there uh, you go. thing. So I'm like, oh, no, yeah, if I forget, it'll just automatically. That's my <laughs> default Amazon link. It will start with whatever I get. I get a kickback from. So, yes, do that. Also, becoming a subscriber is the number one way you can help. Uh, we can certainly use your help there. There's four different tiers. I mean, come on. The, the, the lowest is $2 a month. If you're listening to this stuff, you can afford $2 a month. You won't even notice it's gone. I mean, that's not even the price of a single beer, for God's mm-hmm. sakes. It's not even the price of a single beer you, you buy in a six-pack of good quality. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, uh, 
Yes, become a subscriber. Number one way you can help. You get lots of bonus material, always adding new stuff there, more stuff on the way. So thank you so much. And with no further ado, let's get on with the reviews. And as I said, the first one I suspect is one that you could have indeed watched with your family, although I'm not sure that you did. I did. Okay. That is <laughs> going in style. Uh, this is a remake of an older film from 1979. That I actually never saw, always meant to get around to, because I, I was a weird kid. I was a huge fan of George Burns, and he was in that movie, along with Art Carney, Lee Strasberg, and Charles Hallahan, which is basically a bunch of retirees who decide that they are going to rob a casino. Now, this updates the storyline in some ways. It's a lot less, apparently, cynical than that movie was. This is a little more lighthearted than that one. I mean, it's kind of like... It almost makes it like the problems with being old. It kind of feels like there's a wah, wah. Anytime there's something like that, oh, my back. You know, th that wasn't so much of the original. But here you get replacing those characters, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, and Alan Arkin. And directed by Zach Braff. Weird. Which I did not know that at all until yeah. the movie actually started. It was a very, like, it, even when it's done, you're like, why did Zach Braff direct this film? Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't seem to fit his his M.O. at all. N not with the characters, not with the style. I mean, so it was cute. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I watched with my parents. Uh, we had a great time going through the movie. It was uh, what I like to call harmless entertainment, where mm -hmm. it's not going to be the best movie you see every year, but... No. You can always put it on and sit back and have a good time just enjoying it. And you have a different, little bit of a different take than I do, probably, because you are thinking of it along those lines of, like, <laughs> this is that harmless film I can watch with my family. I watch it and I go, wow, there really wasn't a lot of imagination here. And honestly, just not a hell of a lot of effort. Morgan Freeman really looks like he's about to fall asleep at pretty much every scene in the movie. And from what I hear, that is they, they have someone on Morgan Freeman sets whose whole job is just to know the right way to wake him up when it's time for him to do something. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me in any way. Yeah. At all. And now you're right. It, the movie doesn't really try anything. It was, it was passable. Although I will say there's a sequence in the middle where they try to rob a Safeway mm -hmm. that goes hilariously wrong that, that I'll admit flat out. I was laughing out loud. No, that, that segment. was a high point of the film. Um, there were definitely, it's not, it's not like there's anything you can point at and go, Oh, this is no, bad. Just, Cause it's not bad. It just is. It's just kind of there. Yeah. You know, it's a movie if you're like, yeah, you're at your grandparents' house <laughs> yep. and they're like, Anna, why don't you watch movies? Why don't you put something in? I don't know why your grandmother's Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> or some weird like had a stroke Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> and this is probably that movie. Um, yeah, the three of these guys, they're witness to a robbery uh, and they're kind of like, the robbers are they have kind of grudging respect for them because they've just been shit on by this bank He's been, that this guy's been using his whole life. And they all found out their their pension has been stolen by their company. And they're kind of like, I think we could do this. We could rob a bank. So they the most of the movie is them putting together this plan to rob this bank. The same bank, by yeah, the way. Yeah, the, the same bank and yep. going on with it. And, you know, of course, they disguise themselves as the Rat Pack because <laughs> that's what you do. But along the way, you get some funny little appearances. Uh, Joey King, who is quickly for a young uh, uh, star on the rise, appearing in lots of stuff, plays uh, um, Michael Caine's granddaughter, who we see in here a decent amount. Matt Dillon is kind of 
just here to take a paycheck as yeah. the FBI agent investigating their case incompetently. Wonderful to see Anne Margaret, who is the love interest for Alan Arkin, who used to be like one of the <laughs> ladies of Hollywood, and she's still pretty hot in her 70s. You know, she was, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad kind of did a little whistle at her when she came on nice. screen. Christopher Lloyd plays uh, like a very senile uh, guy who's who kind of hangs out in the same circles they do, which is always oh, kind of sad. So I admit like that. It hurt because I love Christopher Lloyd and I kept, I wanted him to do more with that than just be a one note joke the whole movie. No, you're right. And that is all they use. And a lot of these side characters are pretty much that they have one purpose. They're here for one thing and they, that's all they're going to get to do. Yeah. There's not going to be any character development or anything like that. And sure, he's the guy who's there to be like, oh, I don't know what's happening. I think it's other things. If you want to see a recent, really good Christopher Lloyd movie, watch I Am Not a Serial Killer, which came out in 2016. It's a really, okay. really good Christopher Lloyd movie. Um, um, Keenan Thompson is in this as the uh, rather funny manager of the grocery store they try to rob. <laughs> and then uh, Peter Serafinowitz, who is playing the tech right now, has a, a, has a very, I thought, very funny role playing yes. one of their sons-in-law who is uh, like ex-son-in-law, basically, who's well, kind of dumb. So as far as in the movie, everyone has their life is sad plot line. You know, they're either, they either have a disease that's going to kill them, they're losing their house where they are alone and miserable. But my favorite plot out of all of that was actually his plot line. Mm -hmm. uh, finding the pothead loser dad and then having him not necessarily not be a pothead anymore, but actually care about his family's life. Like that was the one where I wanted to see some payoff and I was glad I got it. Yeah, I agree. That was probably the only one that was really very now, interesting. I, even even the Alan Arkin and Margaret one, which you thought would be more fun, they just kind of – end up sleeping together and yeah. you're like oh well that wasn't much of a chase yeah, yeah pretty much <laughs> uh, a lot just of said okay yeah i mean this is this is passable entertainment there's nothing wrong with it but there's nothing that really makes it worth seeking out like i said unless like the grandparents are coming to town yeah. uh there's a commentary with director zach braff who apparently is a huge fan of the original film is one of the reasons he wanted to do this uh and was pushing to get a re-release of it but no re-release apparently is on the way. There's 11 deleted scenes uh, and then just, of course, trailers for other movies. So it is what it is. Uh, let's move on to the next one, which is not for the whole family. Uh, this is a very dysfunctional family movie called The Dinner, uh, written by Oren Moverman, who's done a lot of stuff I really, really liked before. Uh, as a screenwriter, he wrote The Messenger and Rampart and Love and Mercy. Uh, he directed Rampart and the Messenger. I mean, he's like one of those guys. He's a really interesting guy who takes unusual projects. So I, I'm kind of curious to hear what you thought about this because I'll be honest, I did not like it it's at all. It's almost impossible to like, I mean, this film is kind of impenetrable, Ugh. you know? I mean, they're just, I mean, even the character who's probably the most sympathetic in this, Richard Gere, is not really all that sympathetic. No, you he's, know, he, he's just not a dick. Yeah, he's like not, yeah, he's almost not a dick. Yeah. Uh, um, this is actually a, fil a film adaptation of a novel, the third version adaptation of a novel of this novel, and uh, it stars Richard Gere, as I said, Steve Coogan, Laura Linney, and Rebecca Hall, uh, Chloe Sevigny, Charlie Plummer, uh, Adipero Odie. And there's some interesting stuff that happens here, but you just can't care because they're all so nasty, horrible people. And what the, when it, you realize 
like there's all these and all right so let me just say what the plot is <laughs> so like steve coogan is married to what is he married to to uh, uh laura lenny laura lenny and his uh brother is richard gear who is married to rebecca hall and they the whole the dinner is one that that steve coogan who we definitely seems more like the major character Desperately does not want to go to. He's clearly not fond of his brother at all. He himself is a teacher. Uh, his brother is a uh, rather successful politician. Yeah, I think he's a congressman. Yeah, congressman. And uh, they're not even sure why they've been asked to go to this dinner. And as this goes along, they're getting ready for the dinner, going to the dinner. Coogan never stops bitching. You know, uh, Laura Linney is the, this wife who's like seems to be more like his handler than his wife. And that makes more sense as the movie goes along. And when it keeps being interrupted by these interstitial scenes of like their two of their sons and something that was happening. And it's very jarring when they break in these scenes from the that happened before. Yeah. You mean the opening that is every teen comedy party ever in the 32nd, like snippet. Yeah. That makes no sense for the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's, when you find out what the the meeting is about why Richard Gere wanted this dinner uh, that has something to do with something really horrific and inhuman that that their sons did or one of their sons <laughs> did and is basically like I'm going to uh there's only one way out of this and is to be honest and I'm going to renounce my candidacy and the other couple is like you can't do that because our son's lives will be ruined forever. And it's an interesting idea, but boy, is it not fun to watch. Yeah, so like, I agree with you. It's a good idea. Well, one, first, every character is despicable, which not the only movie we're going to be talking about this uh, today True. who has that, but like, none of them are even a little bit. And Steve Coogan, as you start to learn more about him, like, there's a turn that happens halfway through the movie which in almost any other movie, when that happens, you get a better understanding of who they are. Mm-hmm. And then you get it. Didn't get it. Still hated him. And actually, this is the movie that made me realize I don't know if I even like him as an actor. Hmm. I like he, I like him in some things. I, he's not always the best guy for a part. So here's the problem I had, though. And, and I, I actually looked up the book itself to see why they did this. And, and in the book, they do this where... They talk about life, the universe, and everything in it, and they're beating around the bush, and you slowly learn how horrible these people are. And the thing is, is I've seen that a thousand times. And and done so much better. Yeah, the whole Just time, to watch my dinner with Andre. It's a billion times better. The whole time I kept going, you know what would have been really cool? If five seconds in they went, this is what we're here to discuss. Yeah. And actually have a bold, honest conversation. Because they, they touch on the idea of affluenza and rich people's kids doing horrible things and getting away with it. And it would have been so much cooler if that was what they decided to make the movie about. Here are these people, here are them logically going, we can do this or we can do this. And what does it mean for our lives? And both that's interesting to me. It's not till almost the third act though, that they even set that the last 15 minutes basically of the movie. And I, the rest of it is just Steve Coogan being an intolerable dickhead. Oh God, horrible. And, and then uh, nobody else makes up for it. So he'll be a dick. And then as you learn more about the characters, it's just, Oh, I thought that Laura Lenny was a nice person and I liked her. Now she's just a dick too. Yeah. And that's what every character gets. Except for, you're right, Richard Gere, he's the only one who isn't just an, just an 
unrepentant, horrible human being. Mm-hmm. And, and yet then he gets it kind of just drops at the He end. gets shit on by yeah. everybody else the Consistently whole rest of the movie. for being a good person. I mean, I get there's a point to all this, but it still has to be the type of point that you find really interesting. And I didn't, and I had a horrible time actually watching it I play too. out. I really hated this. Is this just not fun. Um, if, but uh, some people did like it. It came to mixed reviews. There's audio commentary with the director and with Laura Lenny and a photo gallery. That's about it. But I, I got to say, this is definitely a big skip it. Actually, the, the commentary is why I looked up the book, because they were talking about it, and I was like, oh, well, I disagree. That's just not a good idea. <laughs> uh, so our next film you didn't get to see, I did, uh, because I knew that this was a uh, Estonian entry for the Best Foreign Language Ooh. Film at the last uh, Academy Awards. It did not actually make a nomination, but I always try to when I see, when they're sending me something and I know it was that country's, they think it was their best film of the year, I'll be like, okay, well, that's well, probably worth seeing. Let's be honest, I've never seen a film from Estonia. I think that sounds like a really interesting thing. As far as I know, I hadn't either. I may have, <laughs> though. Jesus Christ. I, I don't know how I would even figure it out. Um, 1944 takes place in 1944 Germany. Uh, it is about the Soviet Union is advancing to try and capture Estonia from Germany, who had already occupied it at that point. And the film is kind of divided into two, as uh, it's the Tannenberg Line in Estonia, and there's this unit of Estonian u- soldiers who are, who are working with the Waffen-SS, who are fighting the Russians. And no one really, clearly nobody really wants to be there, but they're scared to express that on any level although there's certainly a lot of there's there's talk of people deserting and running away like uh, this is fucked what are we doing here we're not neither side is appealing in this scenario right we don't want the soviets here we don't want the germans here uh in fact they openly make fun of nazi officials praising hitler and stuff it gives them all signed (laughs) pictures of hitler and they're like oh hooray and it follows them to a certain point where it crosses just an, another character we meet up with. The, the movie goes, you know what? I think we're going to go with them instead and just takes off and follows that character who's on the other side on the Red Army. And it ends with kind of a like it, it, it. The second half is definitely better than the first half where there's a whole thing where a guy who kills a soldier like without like one of those first guys killed and he's just shocked and it's another estonian which is part of the difficulty estonians fighting estonians for both fighting for causes they don't believe in because they had no choice he like finds a letter to a girl and he's like well okay i'm gonna deliver it and then when he does he can't bring himself to tell her i'm the one who killed him and it's the girl's uh uh brother not his lover but they definitely have a connection and the soldier's falling for her and she's falling for him but then he's like how is this gonna work out (laughs) and that has an interesting wrap-up but ultimately i thought even at 100 minutes this was over long um it definitely overstays its welcome significantly and it's kind of a hard thing to have the movie suddenly switch gears and change to a completely different set of characters halfway through you have to really have them be connected you have to pull it off effectively well to do that yeah there are some nice effects and some nice war scenes and overall i do think this is worth watching for people who really love world war ii films and god knows there's a lot to choose from and i think this is a worthy film to add to that list if that's something that you like like a lot but i don't think it's anything in particular that you you should feel like you have to go seek out either all right the next one is one of my favorite horror movies of all time someone would say horror comedy perhaps even uh that is reanimator i always want to say the reanimator but it's not it's just reanimator okay one 
this was my surprise fave of the movies you gave me. And I've been calling it the reanimator for the last week. I didn't know it was just reanimator. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's because it seems, it just sounds weird. It's but epic. It's just, it's just the reanimator. It's just, yeah, but it's re, it's reanimator all, or called HP Lovecraft's reanimator, depending on so, where you see it listed. This is very loosely based on a, uh, I believe like a series of short stories by Lovecraft that were even out of print at the time. Uh, somebody told director, uh, Stuart Gordon about them, who was uh, thinking about doing a Frankenstein movie and was like, he's like, Oh, you know what you should do? So he had to go to a library and track down these stories and then kind of fell in love with this character and made a story that very vaguely resembles like well, the actual original. So it, it's funny that you mentioned he was going to make a Frankenstein movie because I was so woefully unprepared for Reanimator. Uh, I can't believe you hadn't heard. So I've heard about it. I've known about it. But way, way, way back in my formative years when you stole Playboys and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I found a Hustler magazine at a Deer Lease that had, of all things, a Reanimator-themed photo shoot, mm. which was about as pleasant as you can imagine. <laughs> and I got it in my head that the movie was about a guy who decides to build his perfect girlfriend out of dead body parts. Uh, well, they have made that movie. Yeah. It's called Frankenhooker. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I thought it was. And also, it made me not want to watch Reanimator. Fair enough. So I've circled this movie for the last, like, 15 years of my life. Not realizing that this is a real classic. Oh, my God. It was good. Yeah. It's... I was not prepared at all for it. It has... Um, and I forget the actor's Je- Jeffrey name. Combs? Uh, the Wayun from Deep Space Nine? Yeah, Jeffrey yes. Combs. Well, who played... He, I believe, has the record for playing the most amount of characters on Star uh, Trek. He's right. at like some like seven or eight different characters he's played. It's but, ridiculous. He even played two different characters in the same episode once. Yeah, which right. makes him actually the third person to have done that. <laughs> and, but, you know, to be fair, Jonathan Frakes is one of them, yeah, and yeah. he was just playing his clones. So. Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jeffrey Combs is great. He's kind of a legend. He's been in so many things, and this was his real, like, hey, everybody, it's Jeffrey Combs. Isn't he great? And we all kind of <laughs> fell in love with him back when this movie came out in 1985 because of this playing the crazed Dr. Herbert West, who has a reanimation formula that can bring the dead back to life, only not well. Yeah, they're kind of upset. <laughs> yeah, they're really, really, really rage And You know, so filled. the only problem I had with the movie at all uh, was that I would have liked to see them trying to perfect it. Uh, the formula he had, because it seemed like it was, oh, we, we brought back this person in the opening and his eyes exploded everywhere and he died horribly. So I'm going to use the same formula on something else. And that attacked me. And so I'm going to use the same formula. Well, there are two sequels. If you feel like following up what happens next, I'm kind of intrigued, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, I kept wanting to see him developing the formula and trying. It's like his whole thing. He he basically kind of like, I don't know, like. I had the right word for it, but means his way into making his getting a, a room with uh Dan, who played by Bruce Abbott, uh and making him be his personal laboratory assistant here and doing all this. He kinda gets suckers into being part of all this. Yeah, he kinda it, it is Actually, you're right, means his way into it. Yeah. He's just a dick to him until he does what he wants. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, now, Dan has one of the most gorgeous women in the world at that period of time is his girlfriend, Barbara Crampton, who, just wait, 
You'll get what you're looking for. <laughs> and then you'll be like, why did I wish for this? This is horrible. Uh, David Gale plays the sort of asshole head surgeon who has like a definitely all constantly making dagger eyes back and forth at, at uh, Herbert West and eventually turns into one of the most memorable movie monsters of yes. probably all time. In this uh, again, so uh, that was when I kind of officially realized that I was not prepared for this movie when I went into it was when he goes from being kind of the jerk college professor because the setup of this movie feels like almost any college comedy setup just there happens to be blood and gore in it right and then he ends up being this homicidal psychotic chopped up into many parts villain and yeah kind of amazing yeah and let's say um this movie will bring the phrase uh, giving someone head a whole new meaning to you that's my favorite part oh yeah it's everybody's favorite part because you're horrified and you're laughing at the same time and i've heard about that so much like that scene so i knew that that was coming and i kept way like okay this is gonna happen oh oh that's amazing it's exactly what i wanted it to be yeah it's horrible yeah, this is – I can't recommend this movie more. I mean, yes, it's very gory to say the least. It's extremely violent. It's got as about full frontal nudity as you can get and still barely have a yeah. – managed to get an R rating. I believe it was even NC-17 uh, at one point and then they managed to get it down to an R uh, well, over time when things become more tame. Well, so, uh, and also uh – I looked at it, and it's because there were two versions of the movie as well. Mm, which, yes, there are. Uh, so, yeah, there's the um, the R-rated version. It's the one almost everybody has seen, which is great. Now, there's there was another version, which is not on here, which was made for television and was strangely like 23 minutes longer. I didn't know about that version. Yeah. There's, <laughs> well, they cut out all the gore and like everything and the nudity, and they added 23 minutes of like whole new plot lines. Like there's a whole thing where Dr. Uh, uh, David Gale's character, the, the, the asshole doctor, has like – Develop telepathic powers to mind control (laughs) his victims that's not in the other version at all. But it's like, like I said, it's a huge amount of extra stuff they filmed specifically to make up for all the running time they lost because they had to cut so much for TV. So somebody put together the integrated version, which is on here, where they just took, they kept all the good stuff that was cut out for the TV, but they added all the new TV scenes as well in a a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it all fits into there. So if you ever want to watch that. Now, that being said, Stuart Gordon himself has said repeatedly, yeah, I'm just – I never was crazy about that added stuff. I still recommend the the regular R-rated version. Um, I, I did not get a chance to watch the – they call the integral version. I'll get to it at some point. Yeah. I was too busy watching the really spectacular special features on this thing as it's Arrow and they never fuck around with no, what they, they put not. out on these. You get an isolated score. There's a new audio commentary with Stuart Gordon and actors Graham Skipper and Jesse Merlin from Reanimator the Musical, which I hadn't even realized was a thing before this set. There's the original audio commentaries that came with earlier versions of the disc with Stuart Gordon, one with the with Brian Yuzna, Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, Bruce Abbott, and Robert Sampson. There is a documentary, an hour and eight minute docu- documentary on the making of the film, uh, four separate interviews, uh, discussion about the music. There's a interview with Barbara Crampton. There is a look back at, uh, Stuart Gordon's stage origins and how he got started doing theater before this. There's a look at 
the reanimator the musical. There's extended 23 minutes of extended scenes like and I watched all of them. There's some good stuff in there. Uh there is a two minutes and 40 seconds of deleted scene. There's uh multi-angle storyboards that you can change around with angles. Uh there is the original trailer. You can get the screenplay, which is really I love it when they make that an option. You download <laughs> the screenplay to your computer. Uh there's a wonderful thing on here. It's almost an hour long, a guide to Lovecraftian <laughs> cinema, which is uh this guy Chris Lackey who basically who runs a Lovecraft podcast and he goes through all the films that have been influenced heavily or based specifically off of a Lovecraft story or book and just gives them to you in order of what they were and talks a little about them. And it's really cool. And then there is uh, a audio supplement featuring Jeffrey Combs reading Lovecraft's original short story, Herbert West reanimator. Can I just say that I have a hard time imagining this movie ever looking or sounding as good as it did in the unrated version too. Like I know this is arrow and that's what they do. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was floored by how gorgeous it was. It really is. They did not mess around whatsoever with this release because this is a deeply beloved film. People really like this movie and I'm one of them. I remember seeing this in high school and just going, I want to own this movie. I, this is one of my movies that's like, like they say, your white album. Every time there's a new <laughs> version, you go pick up whatever it is. This one's slightly better. It's infinitesimally better, but I gotta buy it. Well, count me among that list of people as well now. This is, I think, both of our pick of the week. Then. Yeah, 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 definitely mine. For sure. All right, so let's move on. Another one you didn't get to see. I, this is a weird one. It's called Union Furnace, and I will tell you, that 20 minutes into this film, I, I literally just gave up on it. I was like, okay, I, this is horrible. This is such Andy, like, I mean, the acting's okay, but it's so super low budget. Nothing is happening that's interesting. I don't know who even sent this to me. And I stumbled <laughs> across a review of it online that was like, stick with it. It gets better. I was like, all right, fine. So I went back to, in fact, review the, to, to watch the rest of this. Um, Union Furnace, the film's title, is a, ta- a real name of a small township in Ohio. Everybody's very poor and struggling to try and get their lives together and take care of their families. And then uh, this guy, who's one of the producers of the film, Seth ha- Hammond, uh, shows up, who's like meeting with the our our main our protagonist character who's you know just a redneck basically uh in the town saying hey you look like a good guy they're like go out drinking and stuff and he's like i tell you what i got a gambling opportunity for you where you can win a lot of money and you're like okay what's going on here so he ends up you know they put the old bag on his head and take him to an undisclosed location where there's quite a few other people in there eight eight people uh uh, total, including that main character of Cody, who all have had not numbers spray painted on their clothes. And basically there's a group of people all wearing like crazy masks who are all betting on whether or not they will succeed at doing various tasks. And at first it's literally, they're just playing board games, you know, and it's like whoever's <laughs> the ultimate loser is out and you know, they don't know what happened to him at the end. Like, Oh, he's just gone. But every time, like they go, they, there's a break room where a guy in a pig mask is sitting there quiet with a shotgun just to make sure nothing <laughs> goes wrong. But everybody has a metal box with their number on it and a key to it. So they unlock it and every time there's more and more and more money in it, you know? So the idea is whoever gets to the end ends up getting everything. Okay. Right. And these characters, I mean, they vary in how interesting they are. You know, you're like, okay, there's one, there's only one that's an outrageous asshole that you just want to die. And hey, guess what? <laughs> he dies. But 
like I, I'm more interested along the way in in the guy who's actually lion, the guy wearing the lion mask, who's the guy who, who met Cody, who introduced him to this deal, and seems to be the guy running it. They give you just enough for you to want to know more, but then you never get enough for it to have been worthwhile to sit through it. Plus, the games themselves aren't that interesting. Thank God we've got David uh, Keith David here, who's must be slumming it for a really? check because this is so low budget. But he's they actually, I mean, he earns his check. They give him something well, to do. That's because sure. he's Keith David. He's awesome. He's like, yeah. He's never bad. But at the by the end, I was like, I mean, that was okay. I get it. The whole thing is a so incredibly on the nose thing about like how about desperation and poor towns and, and economy issues and how like the rich fuck over the poor. I mean, it's just at points. So on the nose, you're like, Oh, come on guys. I mean, I get what you're trying to do here. I admire it to some degree, but who's going to watch this movie. So the big question, was it worth going back and finishing? Hmm. Not with all the, I mean, maybe if I was somebody who was like, didn't have to watch 30 movies a week. (laughs) I mean, from my point of view, I was like, yeah, yeah, I can't. It's okay, I guess. Overall, I was like, eh, I'd, I'd probably skip it. Uh-huh. Uh, next up, we have another Arrow release for, and they love to do this kind of, like, Arrow loves horror movies, and sometimes you get the reanimators, and sometimes you get the Slayer, which unfortunately <laughs> is not about Buffy. I was very disappointed to find yeah, out. Yeah, you told me that when you handed the movies off, and when I told my wife, I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch the Slayer. It has nothing to do with Buffy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really wish it did, though. Oh, God. It would have been so much better. Uh, originally, apparently called Nightmare Island. This came out in 1982. And it's, you know, two vacationing couples on a small sort of northeastern island um, uh, that is kind of burnt out. Yeah, like it, there was an old uh, World War II base on it, yeah. I think. Yeah, and like uh, several houses that are just kind of burned down, and you're like, where? What the fuck is going on? How is this a vacation town? And then they they go to the quintessential horror cabin that is actually kind of cheesy but nice on the inside. Yeah, like yeah, and like there's a lot of like the main character keeps having dreams, prophetic dreams of her friends dying, and which of course the movie's called The Slayer. Her friends are going to die, and the question is. Well, in her dreams, though, it's not like a slasher killer. It's a demonic monster that's killing people. And as things go along and things in her dreams start actually happening, she starts wondering, is there really some kind of demonic monster? And it's a little confusing, especially when it gets to the very what-the-fuck-just-happened ending of this film. Because the movie, like, you know, in every other way except for those dream sequences – feels like a very traditional slasher film. Yeah. You know, no one's very young, which is weird, because usually in these type of films, they're all like 17. And said, no, there are two married couples yeah. in their 30s. Yeah, in their late 30s, it looks like. Who, by the way, I, I very much like the dinner. I hated almost every single character in this movie. Yeah, there's nothing to like about like, them. Well, except for the, the redheaded except main, for the main character, character is hot. who's just yeah. kind of goofy and she's losing hot. her mind. And she's hot. I-, I loved the dream sequences and admittedly the kills were kind of interesting, but... Uh, yeah, actually, that is the one thing I did like about yeah. it. The kills were very creative and surprisingly gory. Yeah. Yeah. Which... But then it gets to the ending, which... I've seen this movie, and I can now, with some authority, say I don't actually know if the killer was supernatural or not. Yeah. The law of movie conservation, as it applies to horror movies, means... Like, obviously, someone we've met in this film is the killer. Yeah. And there's a point you realize, well, it clearly can only be one person because we've only met one other character. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, and then the very end of the movie, which is is so nonsensical and out of nowhere, and just it's such an attempt to be arty and clever and just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. It, it was one of two movies I saw that I audibly went, "What?" <laughs> yeah, at the end of the movie because I just like, no, that's not how you end it. Wait, that's really the ending of the movie? I I don't. Oh. It gets really like. What are you saying that happened here? I'll say, and I, I think I got that, but why? I just don't get it. There's and even a whole thing, and maybe I missed something earlier, like the very, 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 very end, which isn't really a spoiler because you won't have any clue what this means, is like the main character is a little girl, and her dad gives her a, a cat, and she looks at the cat and freaks out, and that's the end of the movie. I was like, why is the cat freaking her out? Oh. Oh, God, I actually know. Oh, do you? Okay, yeah. Because I couldn't figure it it's, out. So earlier in the movie, when it suddenly becomes Nightmare on Elm Street and she doesn't want to sleep at all, when yeah. her brother drugs her, which, by the way, oh, my God, her brother basically date rapes her without the rape. It's terrible. But he talks about they gave her a cat and she used to have dreams and then they found the cat in the freezer and on and on and on. And so all what does that mean, though? So, <laughs> I think it's all a dream, but it's all the dream of her as the six-year-old. And then when she sees the cat, she realizes all of this stuff is going to happen. Well, points for trying, but okay. it didn't really no, sell. It's terrible. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, this has definitely been a long sought-after film for f- big fans of the slasher genre. It's been missing for a long time and no available copies of it. So uh, Arrow, of course, putting it out, it fixed it up all nice. There's a 52-and-a-half-minute <laughs> retrospective with lots of interviews with everyone involved called Nightmare Island, the making of the Slayer. Which... Uh, the, yeah, there's a 13-minute return to Tybee, the locations of the Slayer. Like, yeah, okay, great. Well, Let's and, see what and, they look like. Right I made it like 15 minutes into the documentary yeah. and was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah, and I, then I realized it was for the Slayer and I just didn't care anymore. I, yeah, I, I got about five minutes in and then I went, why am I watching this? Yeah. I don't care about this movie. Um, there was a uh, a bit where called the Tybee Post Theater Experience where there was a screening of the film with an audience with uh, introductions by people in a post-film uh, Q&A. Uh, and then a still gallery, and there's some audio commentary bits, isolated score. Uh, so, you know, it's a nice package for a film that I'll never watch again. Oh, I will say, fun fact, that was it's one of the movies that shows that not everything should necessarily be Blu-ray. Yeah. Because in the opening dream sequence, uh, when the beast hand reaches out to get her from behind, you can clearly see the burly, hairy arm of the grip <laughs> with his jean shirt rolled up above the elbows. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's not a perfect film, to yeah. put it mildly. <laughs> All right, let's go to our next one, which is actually a big Hollywood release. That I did not see when it played in theaters because I saw the trailer and was like, I am not watching a military feel-good film about a dog. And even the flippin' DVD menu or the Blu-ray menu is nine-tenths an American flag waving. And then mm-hmm. in the bottom lower right, like five inches, you can see her and her dog in the waving of the I, flag. I just generally don't watch big Hollywood films where dogs are a central character because you're like, that, you, that never ends well. Uh, you're just going to try and make me cry, and I'm not, I won't have it. <laughs> it's either going to be the dog almost always dies, or it's going to be so rah rah, sis boom ba, feel yeah. good that yeah. it's just, it's not really an entertaining movie aside from the fact that it makes you feel good about being an American. Now, all that being said, Megan Levy 
managed to straddle a middle line reasonably well, I thought. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it's another one of those films, I think it's better than going in style, mind you, uh, considerably <laughs> yeah. better film, but it's one of those films I can't see going back to again, but I was like, there's nothing wrong with this film. I would recommend it to other people. So I, I mean, like- it's, it's, it's nice. It's weird to see Tom Felton playing an, a complete good guy. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's Tom Felton. What the fuck is he doing? He's not even snarling at anyone. I uh, know, because after Malfoy, he's been such a dick in everything he's yeah. in. I he, kept waiting for him to be a jerk. And he, then. Even when he no. plays a good guy, like in The Flash, he's still kind of a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. And here he's like, oh, I'm a great guy. Uh, the story here is a real uh, biographical story of the titular lead character, Megan Levy, played here by Kate Mara who was a, a U.S. Marine corporal who, when she basically had a lot of problems, like, she appears to me, and I don't know the real story, but at least is the way she's represented in this film, she appears like she's probably deals with manic depression, maybe bipolar, something yeah. like that. Like, she's just drops out of life, can't really handle anything, can't handle people, you know, is not good with the relationships. And she decides, she just goes, I'm joining the military, Bye. Had goes to join the military, leaving her, her mom, Edie Falco, and, uh, her, uh, her father, Bradley Whitford, who are, they're separated, just like, what the fuck just happened? But she gets there and she sees, uh, Common, who is gunnery, plays gunnery sergeant Massey, who runs the military police, uh, canine department. She's like, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. I want to play with the doggies. It's because it was common. I mean, yeah, well, plus it's common. He's, he's, he's awesome. He's not as common as his name would apply. <laughs> I imply. And, uh, she, after like finding something that motivates her, she, you know, really basically realized, okay, I'm going to work really hard so I can get this. And she does. And she forms a very close relationship with a dog that no one else can get close to. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the dogs are bomb sniffers. So there's a good part of the movie where they get deployed into Fallujah and they're sniffing out bombs. Which it actually gets pretty exciting and tense. I was going to say that the, the the mission that kind of the whole movie revolves around and that whole sequence was really good. It, it reminded me – it actually made me – well, I appreciated the movie. It made me wish that we got a um, – and I'm blanking on the title of it uh, – The Hurt Locker. Hmm. But – with like the Megan Levy and character and her dog going through this, just going through mission after mission after mission and seeing all the crazy stuff that happens over there. You almost, I wanted, that was the, my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. For sure. That. It's really interesting. It's really tense. It's really good performance oh. by, by, by everyone involved. Uh, and then the third act is really her, you know, going, well, I don't want to be in the military forever. I'm kind of done here. And then realizing, what do you mean I can't take the dog with me? <laughs> Where I kind of lost sympathy for her at that point. I was like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. It's like, they're like, look, these dogs, they pretty much get the dog version of PTSD. When yep. we have tried in the past to let people take them into a regular domestic setting, they attack people. Well, and they even touch on that. Like, yeah. flat out, Common has a bit where he yeah, says, Yeah, that's what I'm no, saying. No, no, I've seen this happen. Yeah, and of course it does. And I'm kind of like... I get that you bonded with this dog. Get another dog. I, I just kind of was like, what are you going to do? Come to the base and fucking move near the base so you can go visit the dog. I just, there was like, I get some degree of the emotional thing, but her, which is what made her famous, her going to the basically her congressman, like, we need to do something about this because I should be able to be with my dog. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. i just having trouble sympathizing at this point. So, I think I ended up liking it a bit more than you, but I think the reason for that, though, is I got about maybe two-thirds of the way through. It was actually right around that time she had the conversation with Common, 
And I, I stopped looking at this as a military movie, mm-hmm. despite all the marketing, despite the flag it's waving. It's not really a military cover. movie. It's a movie about a girl who went through a traumatic event, which you don't find out what it was that caused her to break until mm-hmm. the last third of the movie when she finally tells her boyfriend. I was like, okay, this is about a girl who she broke with reality and then found happened to go into the military and found herself through the dog. Right. And so when I viewed it that way, it it became more interesting and it became something that I was able to connect with her a little bit. She still, like, they had very good reasons for not wanting to give the dog. But at the very least, I understood where she was coming from. I understood where she was coming from. Yeah. But it felt like, especially after that common speech to her, it was like, yes. so, don't you get it? Yeah. This is dangerous and this is why you can't do it. That's a very valid reason. And that she's, like, even more determined. I'm like... Oh, for fuck's sakes. Which, it, <laughs> the, the the biggest issue I had with it was that, one, I get that she had this emotional shift where all of a sudden she wants to be a dog trainer. Mm. I didn't see that. Like, when it happened, I was like, oh, I guess she's going to do this now. And right. It felt like just like her deciding to be in the military where she just did it. And I would have really liked to see more of her trying to show that this – this dog was a special circumstance, mm-hmm. like more justification. So we weren't sitting back going, lady, your dog is going to tear some kid's head off by accident. And said, right. no, no, this is a sweet dog. And, but then again, it's based on a true story. You, you get what you get. Yeah. Unfortunately. I, I mean, that doesn't mean that you're, I'm any more sympathetic towards the yeah. real people either. <laughs> but then again, we're only getting a tiny piece of the bigger story. Exactly. Here. This is a very thin slice of this woman's life. Uh, and as a, it only has the one supplement, which is two and a half minutes long, which <laughs> takes a look at basically just stuff that we already know by watching the film yeah, of the main character. It, like, it was an EPK. Yeah, there's yeah. absolutely no reason to watch it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I would have been interested to see a, a full-on interview with the the real uh, uh, Megan, but I agree. I, I would have liked to know more about what really happened versus the Hollywood version of it. That would have been fun. Agreed. Well, let's go on to our last title, which is of course. The controversial uh, fan hit and and hated <laughs> Batman and Harley Quinn. Um, now this is of course uh, written by co-written by Bruce Tim, who was one of the main creators of the original Batman the animated series that fucking changed everything yeah. for sure. Was definitely one of those high marks in like superhero stuff uh, for for making them. Hey, we can make lots of money off this by the studios. Well, let's do more of it. And is definitely still beloved as one of the greatest animated yes, shows is. ever. Uh, Bruce Tim has said, although DC has not commented on it, that as far as he's concerned, this is, takes place in that animated universe. <sighs> so I, let me get this out of the way first. I love the holy hell out of this movie. I did too. But, oh my God, tonally, I was so confused by it. It's definitely... Like, I mean, because there were pretty much straight-up comedy episodes of that show, yeah. and this is a straight-up comedy episode well, of, you know, I mean, it's 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 completely playing it for last. I mean, there's even, like, I laughed out loud at one point when Poison Ivy, or not Poison Ivy, um, uh, uh, Harley, Harley Quinn, Quinn is in the back of the Batmobile with Nightwing and Robin in the front, and she's just, I can't remember what she was doing. She was babbling about something, and Batman's just like, why did I quit medical school? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to talk about the fart joke in that, which was the only time I went, oh, come on. Even that made me laugh when Nightwing is like, Batman, seriously, pull the car over. (laughs) It's like, 
in the beginning, it's so serious, and it's very much like an episode of Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. The art style is the same, which I'm oh, yeah. totally It's the into. same Batmobile, exactly. Yep. You know? And, and although, and I fully admit that this is a nitpick, it kind of weirded me out and bothered me a bit, the fact that Batman and Nightwing are just officially sanctioned law officers. Like yeah. Nightwing is canvassing and interviewing witnesses and just walking the streets in full get up. And Batman like walks into a super secret government facility and is ordering agents around. Well, that was kind of the deal in the animated series. Yeah, like, they were it, basically nobody there was never except for things where like I think there was there was a two parter once where they were framed for yeah, something and everybody was like, after them. But I, I admit that's a nitpick. But from the probably like after the first third when the movie just goes full Batman sixty six. Oh, totally. And I, like they go to a henchman bar, <laughs> and they're going through, and the whole time they're at the henchman bar, I'm like, God, like this, this feels like Batman sixty six. I'm, and it, am, am I crazy? It feels a lot like the recent animated Batman sixty yeah. six movie they did. It's that same type of and, humor. And I knew they were doing a sequel to that, so I was like, Is this the sequel to that? Yeah. I'm not sure. And All I can say is Harley Quinn gets up on stage and does karaoke of a Blondie song, which I was like, I've lived my whole life waiting to see this. <laughs> well, and then, when they do the inevitable Batman 66 uh, fight with words flying at the screen mm-hmm. and they do Ow My Balls. Yeah. Officially, my like one of my favorite Batman movies. Just like, <laughs> yes, I love it. This is amazing. <laughs> I, I And I get why some people were like, I think this is really stupid. It's supposed to be really stupid. It's not like you're like, I don't understand how this fits in with the Dark Knight Returns in the canon. Well, obviously it doesn't. It doesn't fit in with anything. It doesn't fit in with anything except possibly the original animated series. (laughs) Uh, And it's the bad guys are are Poison Ivy and the Floronic Man, who's basically evil Swamp Thing, uh, who've teamed up. Which, speaking of, of course, Swamp Thing does make an appearance because you've got the two, two, you know, plant-based bad guys. And it's a wonderful sequence where they're all like, oh, I mean, they're like, oh, he's a deus ex machina. And then he just pretty much does the god equivalent of a shrug and takes off. This is the other movie that at the end I went, wait, what? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) It is a weird ending. And uh, you have to stick around to a post credit sequence on this. Yes. That is so funny. It's probably the funniest <laughs> bit in the whole thing, uh, featuring Harley with her new job. But it, Kevin Conroy, of course, voicing Batman, because if you're doing something with Batman in the animated series like this, it's pretty much got to be him. Now, I know a lot of people were really disappointed that the original act, voice actress for Harley Quinn was not available, apparently. And so they got uh, Melissa Rausch. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that the best, who's known as Dr. Bernadette on uh, Big Bang Theory. Maybe that alone is why geeks were like, fuck everything to do with Big Bang Theory. Probably, because that's true. I mean, the, like that that attitude is out there, but I kind of liked her. I thought she did a great I job. I thought she was fine. I didn't really like, I mean, sure, I love the original voice actress, but I didn't think she was bad at it either. So, so I didn't look up who was in it. I spent about three seconds when she came on going... Oh, wait, is that the original? No, I don't think that's the original. Eh, she's fine. She's good. <laughs> There's, by the way, a great bit where they're, like, thinking maybe they need backup, so they call the Justice League satellite. <laughs> and Booster Gold is the one talking to him, voiced, uh, by the way, by Bruce Tim himself. They're like, who's available? And they're just listing off all these D-list heroes. They're like, no, no, ooh. And, like, making little snarky comments about them. And then Booster Gold's like, hey, guys, I can totally come. He's like, no, no, seriously, we're fine. We're fine. <laughs> it's <laughs> I thought that was pretty fucking fun. No, no, I, I laughed out loud. Like, honestly, the only joke in the entire movie that didn't land the for fart. me was the fart joke. And it was a little, like, 
Really? You're going to do a, that blatant of a fart and, joke? And, uh, and you're right in that the follow-up jokes about the fart were funny. Yeah, but, but the was initial like was the, like, seriously? A fart joke? I don't know. I like. I once again totally get why this would not be somebody's yeah. cup of tea. But for me, I thought it was a real riot. By the way, there's all sequences in the karaoke thing with these two uh, twin henchmen that turns into a blowjob joke that I don't know if everybody saw. I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, there's a whole thing where the like the like Harley's up on stage with them and she's on her knees in front of them and the mic, the way it's sticking out, is like right at her mouth and her mouth is open and it's coming right out from his groin. And it was like, that's a visual blowjob joke, guys. <laughs> I kinda wanna watch that. Plus again. they're like incestuous twins. It's twin cest going on yeah, between yeah, these that guys. I caught. <laughs> fucking weird. This is a weird movie. Yeah it is. But I think I found it a lot of fun. Uh if you don't take it too seriously of course there's a sneak peek at the next one gotham by gaslight which i'm super looking forward yeah, to same here it looked really interesting uh there's a 21 minute look at the ca- character's history in the comic books of uh and the animated series of harley quinn with bruce tim and paul denny uh there's a look at lauren lester the voice actor who does nightwing um there's uh and then there's all that you know it's been irritating lately they've been filling up a lot of the extra space with a sneak peek at you're like Movies that came out three years ago. Yeah. Why are you putting these on here? I guess they've, this is the 30th DC animated Jeez. universe original movie. So, and there's two old, uh, Batman the animated series episodes on here as well. Harley and Ivy and Harley's ho- Which, holiday, you know, so like, oh, I should kind of say, I watched the Harley and Ivy because mm-hmm. I love anytime Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are together. And like the, my biggest complaint that isn't, isn't a complaint at all about this movie is, I kind of just want a movie about Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy having an adventure. Oh, totally. That would be so awesome. Yeah, that's why, like, when they're talking about doing the Harley and the Joker movie, I was like, no. Harley and we want to see Harley and Poison Ivy movie. Harley, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman, ideally. Yes. I mean, let's just do, uh, what, what do they call it? Birds of Prey. Like, let's see that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, completely. Anyway, that is it. For our show, thank you so much for listening, Aaron. Thank you so much for being here with me. Glad can to be here. Uh, you'll be, hopefully you can come do future episodes with me as well. I can Most keep definitely. it. I didn't th- throw you off. I didn't intimidate no, no. you with no, the no, stack. No. Yeah, I, I, actually, it was smaller than I was expecting. Okay. I was expecting it to be a larger. I, I try to keep respectfully yeah. sized stacks. And, and thankfully, I have plenty of time every evening, and, and, and I enjoy weird, batshit, insane movies. This is you uh, did not disappoint. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, that's one of the reasons we've added a bunch of new uh, people. Digital noise is because. I, you know, I know it was difficult for some of these guys when I handed them 14 movies and go, you have a week and a half. <laughs> so more people means smaller stacks for everyone. Well, and, and I admit like week to week, 14. Eh. Yeah. Once a month. Yeah. I'll watch 14 movies in a week. I can handle that. Well, you won't have to is what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, anyway. Uh, yes, please become a subscriber once again. Oh my God. It helps so much. We love you. I will send you a personal note of love if you become a subscriber. I'll just, I'll write you a poem. And, uh. Now's the time I want to tell the audience that I'm a subscriber. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's a subscriber. He's on the show. He's working for me. And he's even still a subscriber. And I'm just saying I want the poem. <laughs> you want these stuff? <laughs> no, you already subscribed. That, that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> Oneofus.net has been your one-stop shop for all things geek for years. But there's a side to them many of you have never heard. The subscription side. Subscribe and listen to great podcasts like The Breakfast Pub, The Original Gentleman, and the Watch a Movie With Us series. Head on over to oneofus.net and don't forget your towel. <laughs>